Just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Hey everybody, Jack here. On my solo channel, Musings of an ADD Mime, at the end of every month I do an episode that's dedicated to talking about music. And for the month of February, I had Kenyatta on as my guest, and we decided to put that on our channel as a bonus episode. So, I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to the Musings of an ADD Mind podcast. I'm your host, Jack, and I have the ADD Mind. Today is the last episode of the month, which means it's a music episode. And it's somebody, my guest today, that I have done quite a few number of podcasts with. You might be thinking it's my son, Duncan, or my wife, Heather. But no, it's my partner in crime, my podcasting compatriot, Kenyatta from Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. How you doing? I am peachy keen, Jack, as always. That's Thank you for fantastic. having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. <laughs> I mean, we never do this, ever. <laughs> the I like, This is a first. I just, wow. Okay, uh-huh. let's see how this goes. Okay. <laughs> I I hope you can find stuff to talk about. No, I think we'll we'll, we'll be able to bring something out, I think. I think we'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll work it out all right. Well, what people say we'll manage. <laughs> yep. 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 So, um this month I know it's music, but all month long, um Kenyatta and I have been Honoring and celebrating Black History Month, so we're going to focus on our favorite artists that, well, are black. Yes. <laughs> to put it bluntly, bluntly. And um, I have a slight idea of whom Kenyatta is going to discuss, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. So. Kenyatta, why don't you tell us who you're going to talk about and tell us why you like them, favorite song, album, whatever. Well, um, two of my favorites are, they shouldn't really be unfamiliar to most folks, I don't think. Um, Mm -hmm. Basically because I consider them iconic artists. I think everyone else should too. Mm -hmm. So. I want I want to talk a little bit today about Marvin Gaye and Prince Rogers Nelson. I I would say both of those are fitting and awesome musicians and mm-hmm. prolific musicians. Most definitely. So yeah, yeah, I can't complain about your choices. Thank you thank you very much. Yes, they're. They're two of my favorites. If I get in the mood, I can put them on one of my one of my streaming services and listen to them all day without complaint. I, honestly, I understand. So I can too. Yeah, especially Prince. Like I hear, I may be exaggerating. Um, I think when he passed away, they found in his vaults enough material for like another fifty albums. Yeah. Yeah, he was yeah. not a joke. Yeah, no, you're you're not kidding. It was a phenomenal amount of unreleased music. Mm-hmm. Most definitely, and he's me personally. I miss him to this day. I'm just like, oh, it's just this nonsense. I didn't, of course, when he first like hit his stride, he was I was much younger, so I didn't mm-hmm. get into and get into until I got older, and then I went back to all the stuff when you first start out and I was like oh my god he's a genius but I did something similar I always loved Prince back in 
you know, the eighties when we were young. And then as an adult, I was like, holy crap, this dude is freaking incredible. How did I not recognize his incredibleness? Mm-hmm. So I did that same journey. Yeah, absolutely. And ever since, you know, I'll say at least for the last 30 years or so, I've been, you know, deep, deep in Prince, Princeton. So it's, it's a journey just following along with him and, and watching how he's evolved and grow literally right up until. You know, the time that he passed, he was still performing. So it yeah. was amazing. But before I get to him, mm-hmm. I'd like to touch briefly on uh, Mr. Gay, who okay. also was a iconic and definitive artist. Um, he didn't have the same amount of material just for like sheer numbers, but the intensity and mm, influence Mm-hmm. He his his style and his music had on the on the landscape was tremendous. There's no question about that. And oh, for sure. And unfortunately, he passed away right about the time that you know Purple Rain was was popping up. So they weren't necessarily contemporaries, but to me, and I I read some things here and then that kind of support my opinion. They didn't necessarily have the same musical style, but they had the same type of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Foundation, I guess mm-hmm. you'd say. They did a lot of um, secular to the spiritual things like that, right. comparing like love and lust to you know God and things like that and religion. And they they were they were two of the artists I think that did that almost seamlessly. Like you listen to certain songs and you weren't sure were they talking about a woman or were they talking about Something else, something right. divine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, that's for those those reasons in particular. I I like I said, I I worship these two these two men. They're just they're tremendous. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I have. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say before you dive in deep, mm-hmm. when you watch Captain America: The Winter Soldier, when <laughs> Falcon recommends to Steve. AKA Captain America to listen to Marvin Gaye's The Trouble Man soundtrack. Do it. Do it. You ain't bullshitting. Do it. Not. It's fantastic. And it's just it's just one of many fantastic albums that you can listen to his top to bottom. Mm-hmm. And and just all you need to just settle down in a chair and just listen. I think I read somewhere when you're younger. You listen to the music. You get older. You listen to the lyrics. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely one of those artists. That the older I got, the closer I listened to the lyrics. And he had a lot going on. Mm-hmm. He had a lot going on. He was he was a, a, a troubled a troubled soul for a long time, unfortunately. And you could you, that came out in a lot of his a lot of his songs. Yeah. So for for what he went through, the world was blessed with. An array of, of beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful songs. So, but for him, as many songs of his that I love, there's two, maybe three that stick out for me the most. The first one happened to be a song that was actually released as a single on the day I was born. Oh, that is just amazing to me. But I've always loved this song and it's called Come Get to This. Mm-hmm. Off of his 1973 album, Let's Get It On. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it was released uh, to radio as a single, October 11th, 1973. Yay, me. <laughs> so, here's a fun thing, though. And he was actually accompanied on that song by the Detroit Symphony Orchestra and the Funk Brothers, which, if you're familiar at all with the history of Motown, the Funk Brothers was a group of musicians that, um, Backed up many, many, many Motown artists mm-hmm. on um, various recordings and such. And there's a couple documentaries out there I know about them. They were, they are a group of some very, very talented musicians. Incredible. But something about that song. And there's a type of dance called Chicago style stepping. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've seen it. If you've ever heard of it, go look it up. Google Chicago style stuff and it's type of 
hand and foot dance that couples do mm-hmm. to a certain uh, a certain um, certain type of song with a certain beats per minute. And this is one of those songs that I know I've seen a lot of people do uh, stepping to. And it's just it's a short little song, maybe like three minutes tops, I think. Okay. But he's as he does, he's talking about you know a long lost lover or a lover of his that he's trying to get the attention of her. So he's saying, you know, he's been gone, going out of his mind, this, this, that, and the third, and you left me, and you're coming back, and all this stuff. It's a really simple song that's nothing fancy, but it's just something about it that I've always loved. Like I said, it may be something cosmic, just because it showed up the day I was born. <laughs> Came in, but, and filled mm-hmm. your brain. It did. But I think it's, um, it's represented to me like, of how he was just with the, the biographies and things that I read about him and about um, his search for love and the sanctity of it, which if you know anything about Marvin Gaye, he had a, a really tumultuous, uh, re- several tumultuous relationships. Um, his first marriage to Annie Gordy, it was the sister, Barry Gordy, uh, president of Motown. His second to Janice Hunter, and he actually met her when she was only 17. So, like I said, if you know anything about Marvin, yeah, you know, he had some, he had some messy things going on. Like I said, it, a lot of those things translated very eloquently to the songs that he mm-hmm. wrote and sang and things like that. So, interestingly enough, when he started with Motown in the 60s, his goal was to be a crooner type of singer, a la Frank Sinatra. Oh. And that's, yeah, that's how, that's kind of how he started out with the kind of songs that he was singing. But as he went through these years in Motown, I think he started getting restless. He want to do something different. And if you know anything about Motown, it was real strict as far as what kind of songs they wanted to come out of the artists and the way they wanted to play it. He started getting real dissatisfied being with them and then towards the end of the 60s and the 70s he had that conscious shift and he did a whole lot more social um music especially mm-hmm. with his um what's going on album which is a classic unto itself you want to add one to the list what's going on so that brings me to my next song that came off of that album 1971 inner city blues makes you want to holler even reading the lyrics nowadays it transcends like it's talking about right now. It may have been talking about 50 years ago, but it's talking about right now, too. That's it's that's the great thing about music. It's mm-hmm. been discussed here before that a song can be 70 years old, 50 years old, 40 years old, 30 years old. And it'll almost seem like it was written for whatever's happening in the moment that you're listening to it. Yep, because I mean, you can't. And really, that whole album is like that. But, of course, everybody knows what's going on. But Winter City Blues is the one that catches me the best. Because when mm-hmm. he says, the way they do my life makes me want to holler. I'm like, yo. Like, I feel I feel seen. Like, he's, he's, he's talking about real things that are, like I said, they, they transcend. They, they happen then. They happen since then. They happen now. Especially, he's got mm-hmm. a verse in there that says, Crime is increasing, trigger happy policing, panic is spreading, God knows where we're heading. Oh, they made me want to holler, they don't understand. And it's, and of course he has a, there's a version out there, I think it's one that's stripped of all the backing instruments. Mm -hmm. And he gets to the line, he says, mother, mother. And when I tell you him singing without instruments, that's like one of the purest sounds I have ever heard in my life, especially when he sings that line. Oh it's wow. Fun. It is. And I would I would suggest if you get a chance to try to find some it's usually on YouTube where I find them. Mm-hmm. Some of his songs where the instruments are stripped away and he's doing it's just strictly his 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 vocals. To uh, hear him sing pure. What's the name of the song again? This one was Inner City Blues. Okay. And I think there's one out there for uh there's another, there's a few of them out there. I'm trying to think. I, I'll have a, I have an idea maybe by the end, which other ones I've seen, but any songs of his really, if you happen to catch them, 
mm-hmm. where it's just it where it's just his vocals. It's it's something to behold. It really is. It's it's funny I say that that just him singing Mother Mother mm-hmm. might get you at your soul. So there's mm-hmm. a band called Tool mm-hmm. and on one of their song songs it ends with him singing I want what I want and he says it four or five times. And by the time he gets to like the fourth or fifth one and he's singing I want what I want. It's like emotional <laughs> after you sort of their song. And then it's like, wow. Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that is just emotional in the moment. So I, I understand what you're saying that something as simple as just singing mother, mother could speak to your soul. It is. It did still does when I hear it. And sometimes it's, I can listen to his stuff like in the background when I'm working or things mm-hmm. like that or driving. But when I get in a mood and I just, I'm just sitting there with no distractions right now, not doing anything else. And I just listen. Yeah. It kind of hits you a different way. Mm-hmm. Like right in the solar plexus. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely that. But there's um one other song that's one of my favorites and it's the very last track on his very last album from 1982, Midnight Love. That mm-hmm. is the album that contained the iconic sexual healing. Mm-hmm. But that's not the song. The last song of the album is called My Love is Waiting. And again, he's, he's, if he's known, if he's ever remembered for anything more than, well, I'll take it back. I think the best thing he'll probably be known for is probably his love songs. Yeah. As powerful as his social conscious songs were, his love songs were the ones that you knew he put on his everything in. Mm-hmm. And this particular album, like I said, it was the last one he did before he, he died. And um, he was overseas. I think he was in Sweden by that time because he took off. He left the States because he was having some bad financial issues. So he pretty much made this album to try to help pay his taxes. Mm-hmm. And I think it turned out to be one of his best ones personally. If you've never heard of it or you've never listened to it, get a hold of that one too. I'm, when I tell you, you can listen to more than a few of his albums top to bottom and not be disappointed. I'm serious. But again, he's talking about in this song, he's talking about long lost love, come back to me, things like that. And like I said, reading all the things that I have about him and how whatever it was that he was looking for. Mm-hmm. I guess he never found it. And I guess him seeing these songs the way he did, because, you know, even before, even before he reached that point in his life, those last few years when he was alive, his early days in Motown, he was singing those beautiful duets with Tammy Terrell and Diana Ross. He was already there then. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, it went from, you know, snap your fingers kind of love songs to I'm over here in the dark crying kind of love songs in this last song that was one of those like i said he's 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 waiting it's almost like an unrequited love he's waiting for somebody to come mm-hmm. back to him and i've always loved those kinds of songs he does those best in my opinion so yeah that's, that's awesome mm-hmm. mm, but it it makes it always makes me sad to think about him because you know knowing how he died yeah um and he actually, he would have been 83. What? Had he lived. Mm-hmm. He died the day before his 45th birthday. And it always kind of makes me sad to think, you know, what else? What else had he, did he have up his sleeve? How, how, how much further could he have gone? Or with those, with those demons that he had been battling all those years, would they have yeah. caught it? Would, would, would it have been one way or the other? It always makes me wonder. I I frequently think that when artists that I really like or enjoy die early, you know, because the rock world has a ton of people that died at 27. And then there are, you know, a bunch of others. And I'll listen to their music and it's like, man, what, what could have been? What are we missing out on? And Marvin Gaye is definitely on that, that list, that, that spectrum of what great music was still left in him. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. And it it's it seems to me, like I said, he only did that album to 
And, and like I said, it turned out to be a huge success. I think it was probably a bigger success than he thought it was going to be. But mm-hmm. um, like I said, he was already he was already in the throes of a really bad addiction. You know, he yeah. had been he had been struggling with that for years. And when that that album came out and dropped and did bigger than what he thought, I think it I think it surprised him. But at the same time, like you said, he had been dealing with demons most of his life. You know, primarily mm-hmm. with his father. Um, it was a lot yeah. going on with him. And I, I, I kind of hate on the one hand why I love artists that can transcend like this. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of hurts to know where that comes from. A lot of it yeah. for some, a lot of them comes from a whole lot of, of pain and hurt. So. Yeah. I, I almost feel like it's a side effect of being incredibly creative and talented. Talented. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause it's, it's almost like maybe a demon or something affects that type of person just a little more than maybe someone, you know, not as creative. And, you know, because it's just such a, a common story of super creative people. And it's it's sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Most definitely. So who did you want to talk about? Well, I'm going to talk about uh, somebody from the 80s that has really kind of become one of my favorite artists. And that's Lionel Richie. Okay. Yes. He, <laughs> yeah. He, he is amazingly a prolific writer of songs. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think people realize the amount of songs he's written for him and other people. So when I decided I was going to do Lionel Richie, I was going to do a joke and be like, give him like a, like a super, like, I don't know, regal sounding middle name. So I was going to go like Lionel Washington Richie. (laughs) So then I, you know, was pulling up, just get a little research. Turned out I don't have to make it up because his name is Lionel Brockman Richie. Junior, so he's already got the epic middle name, <laughs> and he's a junior. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Lionel Richie was born June twentieth, nineteen forty nine, in Tuskegee, Alabama, which has a lot of history with the black community, mm-hmm. and not necessarily all good reasons. Mm-mm. But um, Lionel was one of the founding members of the Commodores, and they became a very successful act on Motown, as we were just speaking about. And hang on a second. Let me slip over to this. I have stuff up on a tablet, Mm -hmm. and so it has a list of songs. And, uh, of course, now it's out of order. But, you know, songs like Brick House. <laughs> I'm still not. I've, I've never figured out why a woman being built like a brick house is good. Maybe it's my whiteness. I don't know. Some sort of slang I I didn't know of. <laughs> but, I don't know. I don't. It's it. <laughs> If you don't know, it's hard to explain. I'm sorry. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I personally have never been built like a brick house. That's how I know. Okay. So, <laughs> that's how I know what it is. Cause I okay. <laughs> you, you can tell me after. <laughs> oh, goodness. But, um, uh, let me, and, you know, he had a super big hit with Diana Ross. Mm-hmm. And he has had his song all night long has been covered by 49 artists. Okay, 49. Yeah. That I did not know. That's insane. Of course, Brick House with the Commodores came out in 77, has been mm. covered by 21 artists. That really doesn't surprise me. I would probably would surprise me as who. Mm-hmm. Mm, I might have to look into that. <laughs> and then, like another hit. From uh, 76 with the Commodores is Girl, I Think the World About You. Mm-hmm. 
and High on Sunshine, also in 76. I Feel Sanctified in 74. Jesus' Love in 1980. Oh, yeah, I like that one. Just to Be Close to You with the Commodores in 76. Yeah. yeah. And that's that's just the Commodores. Yes. Uh, most most uh, people don't realize one of Kenny Rogers' biggest hits, Lady, uh-huh. Lionel Richie wrote that for him. That's a beautiful song. It really is. Uh, Kenny Rogers performs it incredibly well. I have to interrupt you, though, and mm-hmm. remind you of one of my personal Commodore's favorites. Okay. Easy. Oh, yeah. 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 I feel, Three I times feel, a lady. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the other Kenny Rogers song is So In Love With You. That came out in 1981. Hmm. And there was another. Kenny Rogers song Without You in My Life Also a huge hit uh, For Kenny Rogers Also mm-hmm. came out in 81 hmm. And we haven't even Got to a solo career yet No Because <laughs> um, I guess what happened He did that song with Diana Ross And it was such a hit that People were like dude why don't you Do a solo album So he did and that first album, non catch up with me tablet. Sorry. <laughs> Sometimes mm-hmm. it's with these artists, it is an insane amount to have to remember. Mm-hmm. And especially with somebody with the longevity, the career, the hits of Lionel Richie. Mm-hmm. I, I'm too old to remember all that crap. Oh, I remember. Because <laughs> I was thoroughly in love with the video for Dancing on the Steel. Oh, Hello. Yeah, right? That we, was a technical marvel. We all loved that video yeah. back in the day. Mm-hmm. If you're unaware of that video, go YouTube it. Please do. It'll, it might look cheesy to today's you know, special effects world, mm-hmm. but when that came out, it was not cheesy. Mm-mm. That was a big deal. Yeah. So his first solo album, titled Lionel Richie, came out in late 1982. And it had three top five hits. Truly, Can't Slow Down, and uh, I'm not seeing the other one, so forgive me. And then he had the follow-up album. Uh, actually, I, this is... The follow-up album, Can't Slow Down. And that had All Night Long, Hello, Can't Slow Down. And Hello is also an iconic video from the 80s. But, ooh, that bust. And by bust, I mean the, you know, the statue of his head, not a woman's bust. Oh. Mm. If you now, know, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, when we get done here, I'm going to go ahead and look that video up, and I'll probably get dragged down a rabbit hole of Lionel Richie videos. But You will. i I got to watch at least that one before I, I end it for the night. i I got to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 86 is when Dancing on a Ceiling came out, as mm-hmm. we were just talking about. Apparently, it was going to have a different name, but they changed it to Dancing on the Ceiling because that was going to be the first single release. Mm-hmm. And then he also has had uh, top tens with Say You, Say Me, which mm-hmm. was from a movie. White Knight. Say La. Yep. And I love if, that movie. If I scroll down, if I, I did read this. He won an Academy Award for uh, Best Song in a Movie. For Say You, Say Me. Hmm, okay. And of the, I think it was four songs nominated, one of the other three was also by Lionel Richie. <laughs> so he beat himself. Pretty much. He had a 50-50 <laughs> chance altogether. <laughs> yeah. And he was also a co-writer of We Are the World with Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. And... If you've listened to our Christmas Spectacular, you know that Kenyatta and I have a 
special relationship with that song. And I mean, on our podcast, the other one, if you haven't listened, go give it a listen and you'll mm-hmm. see why. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Start with that episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The most lighthearted one. Mm, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he's still um, releasing tons of albums and music. And I don't know if it can be found, but was it about five or six years ago, one of the networks did a, a big tribute to Lionel Richie and a bunch of artists came up and sang his various songs and Kenny Rogers came out and sang one of them. And of course, Lionel sang, sang too. And it is, it is a phenomenal <laughs> two hours of TV. Definitely worth watching if you can find it. Hmm. Okay. I'll have to but, do that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people to the 80, from the 80s, kids like Kenyatta and I, well, when we were kids, People think of sort of iconic 80s music and groups. And for whatever reason, I don't think Lionel Richie gets included enough like he should. Because he put out great music and not just in the 80s, 70s. Mm-hmm. He's got great movie or music in the 90s up till now. It's a massive career. He's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. So clearly people who write music and songs thinks he's amazing or they wouldn't, you know, put him in the Hall of Fame. True. I mean, and you're right. He's, he's prolific. It's, it's, I don't know. I think he, he suffered from what I think uh, uh, quite a few black artists did in that time period in the eighties and nineties when they went, because when he was with the Commodores, for the mm-hmm. most part, they were clearly an R&B slash funk band for the most right, part. Right, right. Yeah, no doubt he about went, that. He went solo, I think. I think people were having a tough time trying to categorize him. Mm-hmm. They didn't know whether to call him R&B or pop or top 40. They weren't, they couldn't, I don't think they could peg him. And I think, I think he may have suffered a little bit from that. Sort of like the same vein that Whitney did mm-hmm. when she first came out. People were trying to categorize her and they were... You know, let's say she's not black enough, so we can't call it R&B, but she's not this. I think it's unfair sometimes to even categorize music in the way that it is nowadays. Because a lot of it, uh, good music, I'm not saying everything out nowadays Mm -hmm. is good, but good music kind of transcends genres a lot of times. I agree with you 100%. If it's good music, I'll listen to it. I don't care who performed it sings it, whatever. I have some funky playlists. It'll go from Neil Diamond to Metallica. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. And like the last, you know, five, six years or so, I've come back around and I've been listening to, you know, those heavy, I guess you say heavy metal from the 70s, like ACDC and stuff like that. And I'm like, this is some wild, some wild shit right here. I like this. Because I never yeah. really sat down and listened, listened. Like I was a, you know, we're kids of the MTV generation. So most of what they were showing back in the day was the hair bands. And most of yeah. them were, most of them were crap. So yeah. you had to go to Headbangers Ball. Yeah. To hear the heavy that. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Lionel Richie's amazing. Mm-hmm. Go, go listen to his. I mean, it's several days on a streaming to get get his full <laughs> career in, but oh, yeah. do it for sure. Definitely. Lionel Richie is totally worth it. And sort of to fall back, I think maybe the reason he doesn't get the credit from the 80s is because he's kind of in Prince's and Michael Jackson's shadow in a way. In a way, because he was, I think he did a lot more... Even though you could probably, if you want to categorize him, you could probably say he was pop, mm-hmm. but he was, I guess maybe lightweight pop, quote unquote, which is kind of bizarre because he had some, he had some really memorable songs, like you know you were just talking about, and yeah. or as as bad as the statue was in the video, 
Yeah. Hello is actually a beautiful song if you sit and listen to it. It really is. It's insanely beautiful. Yeah. And that also tells you how old I am, because if somebody says the song Hello, I immediately go to Lionel, not Adele. Is it me you're looking for? (laughs) Yeah. That's where I go. And with that incredible middle name. Yeah, I did not know that. I don't know how I didn't know that, but that's, and the fact that he's the second one to yeah. have that name. They thought a lot about that name. They said, well, let's just give it to the firstborn son. Let's give it to him. They yeah. Did that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, so much for that joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. It's okay. No, definitely okay. So, yeah, that's Lionel Richie. Give him a listen. I'm ordering you. And now I guess we're going to find out your favorite songs by Prince. Um, before I do that, let me just um, back up a two steps. Okay. You talked about um, Say You, Say Me. Yeah. Which is also a very, very pretty song. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. From the soundtrack White Nights. Mm-hmm. That was, as a matter of fact, I just watched it a couple of years ago because I really do like that because I'm a fan of dance. Mm-hmm. 1985. Okay. Um, it had Mikhail Baryshnikov and Gregory Hines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think Mikhail Baryshnikov plays. He's trying to defect from the from Soviet Russia. Union. Yes. Yeah. Well, Soviet Union. Soviet Union. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a really it's a it's a pretty decent movie. But the highlight, obviously, is, is the dancing between the two yeah. of those men. It's incredible. So. Oh, yeah. There's my plug for the movie, you guys. So. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. I, I don't know what streaming platform it would be on, but I'm I'm not sure it is on anything currently, but keep an eye out because it's definitely worth a look. So as we've discussed on our podcast, Google, when used properly, is a great thing. Beautiful. So so no, I don't know. Do I need to do a biography? Because I'm, I feel like people should know these things. <laughs> Maybe yeah. that's just me. <laughs> yeah, but I'll, no. I'll be I'll be brief. I'll be brief. Go ahead. Prince Rogers Nelson, born June seventh, nineteen fifty eight, is a genius. That's it. That's that's what I got. No, born in <laughs> born and raised in Minneapolis, and that's pretty much where he stayed most of his life. As a matter of fact, um, he had himself built a studio there. And apparently from, from the word in the, in the neighborhood where he lived at, it was, I think it's Chan, Chanhassen, mm-hmm. Minnesota. I can't remember how you pronounce it. He would be seen in the neighborhood often by the neighbors walking around or riding his bicycle. That's cool. That's how low key he really was mm-hmm. when he was at home with his feet up. But when he was out on that stage and he was doing what he was doing, he's a genius. That's it. That's it. Yeah. This man did, get ready for these numbers, 42 studio albums, including four soundtracks, four live albums, nine compilations, 17 video albums, and three that came out after he passed away in 2016. Wow. Obscene. Absolutely obscene. Yeah. And he was also one of those artists that could play, I don't know, every instrument. Maybe I not every, I, but I want to say it was nineteen different instruments. I think I heard at one point. Couldn't get to twenty. What a loser! <laughs> but yes, he was. I mean, obviously, he was probably best known for his guitar. So, of which yeah. he had some beautiful custom-made pieces over mm-hmm. the years. So, but with him. Like I mentioned, you know, at the top of the podcast, the man apparently had enough material in his vaults for another 50 full albums. So when we say he was literally writing songs every second of every day since he was a teenager, he was literally writing songs all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, with him, it's it's incredibly difficult to just pick a handful of mm-hmm. favorites. Like, oh, yeah. you can literally get three or four albums worth of songs just based on your mood for the day. Correct. Literally, you can, you, can, <laughs> yeah. you can get a day or two listening material if you felt 
pissy one day or if you, you know, had a crush on somebody the next day or you felt militant on the third day, you can literally find a couple of days each for each one of those moves. It's, it's yep. nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah. With him, though, I think a lot of the, my favorite ones ended up coming off of, um, he had released, it was a compilation album. Don't quote the year. I have it. I own it on CD, y'all. It was called The Hits, The B Sides. And mm-hmm. it was a it was a three album, three disc set where it was pretty much like his number one hits on the first two discs. And then the B sides, mm-hmm. which are the, the songs that get put on the B side of a 45 single. Yeah. And the A, the a side would, would be like a, a bigger, a bigger song, but the B side would be like a lesser known song. Yeah. You're dating us. Mm-hmm. So this is where I first discovered this first song I'm going to talk about was on the B side uh, of this compilation set. And it's called uh, 17 Days. Mm-hmm. And he, he starts it off with, and like I said, he's known for his, his guitar riffing. Let's, let's, we're not even going to miss words. He's just one of the best. He was just one of the best in the world, period. And... He starts off that song with this amazing riff that when you first hear it, you're, you're not even sure if you're hearing a guitar. You just hear something. This is, it just balls out incredible. I, it it right. gets me every time. As many times as I listen to the song, the opening, the opening part just gets me. And it's one of those, again, Prince is one of those ones who was one of the best when it came to heartbroken love songs. And this mm-hmm. is what, this is what 17 days is about. He's basically talking about his lover has left him. It's been 17 days. He wants her to come home. And he yeah. says stuff like, you know, here I sit in this lonely room waiting for my sunshine. All I've got is two cigarettes in this broken heart of mine. And and then the, the chorus comes in, let the rain come down. And it's, I mean, you, you have to hear it, but it stays on my, it stays on my repeat list when I'm having the Prince mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So, and the- I think... Another cool thing about Prince from the 80s, mm-hmm. two of his biggest hits from that time were by other artists that were mm-hmm. made, that did it. Mm-hmm. Manic Monday by the Bingles, mm-hmm. or Bangles, sorry. Mm-hmm. And Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. Mm-hmm. Both of those are Prince. I will say, this is probably sacrilegious, <gasps> Sinead's version is better. Because she almost makes you cry as she's singing it. <laughs> she does. She does. I, and that's, I don't know if he record, recorded Manic Monday. Do you know if he did or if he just wrote it for them? He did. He did make a version of Manic Monday. And I want to say, I want to say he did it with, um, I don't know if he did it. There was one song he did. That he had let somebody else sing it, and then he came back and did a version with a female singer that he had with him at the time. She, she went by the name of Rosie Gaines. Mm-hmm. She had an incredible voice, and he did a duet with her on one of those songs. I don't know if it was Manic Monday or another one, but I want to say every every song that he let other artists sing, I think he eventually did come back either before then or afterward and did his own version mm-hmm. of those songs. Okay. I have to dig around and see if he did okay. Manic Monday. And that would be, but I have heard his version of Nothing Compares to You. And it's beautiful. It is. But you're right. Sinead just, she, she makes you want to roll up in the ball and yeah. <laughs> crawl under the bed. It's heartbreaking. I, I don't like hugging people. And I'm, I'll hear that and I'm just like, Sinead, let me give you a hug. Basically. That child had a lot going on. Less, oh my goodness. Oh, she, she definitely does. She does. But, um, that, I, a lot of his songs, and I guess if you're a hardcore fan of an artist, you get tired. And I know it sounds sacrilegious to ever get tired of the songs of an artist you, you adore like this. But mm-hmm. when you hear the same songs played on the radio over and over and over again, they kind of wear you out and then you kind of, you go back in your vaults and you start listening to all the stuff you may right. have not given a whole listen to. And that's why I like uh, 17 Days so much. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that album that it ended up on, that came out in... The song itself was released as the B-side 
to When Doves Cry, oh. uh, when okay. Purple Rain came out in 1984. Mm-hmm. So it had been released, but it didn't make a huge, huge splash. But like I said, when I came across it, you couldn't, you couldn't stop me. Because you know how you hear a song and it yeah. just goes on repeat, repeat, repeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that's how it was when I first, I first got that set. I was like, and I got this three CD set from Columbia House. Columbia House was the devil. That's it. <laughs> I never paid for my last CDs after I got my 10 free ones. <laughs> Oops. Oh, but they were good for picking up all the old, older stuff mm-hmm. that you didn't already have on CD. They, I lost yeah. my mind with Columbia House, but um, <laughs> that was one of my favorites. And then another one, again, it's another one that's um not... I think it was released as a single, but it wasn't Big Big. Mm-hmm. It came off of the Symbol album. And I don't know if y'all remember when he... When he first switched over from... From his name. Yeah. To the Symbol. That happened to be the album that he released at the time was the Symbol album. So, off of that album, there was a divine little song called And God Created Woman. Uh-huh. And, again... He, when he's like I say, he's just like how I feel about Marvin Gaye. You're not sure he's he's clearly talking about a woman in this song, but mm-hmm. he's comparing her to something divine, right? And um, it's a very minimal song. Of course, he's got his guitar in there, but it's minimal instrumentation. But the lyrics are what always caught me. And um, mm-hmm. there's a part in there where he goes. I think it's one of the last verses. If I never see you again, it's all right. For I'm guilty of no sin. They can have you, but I'll have your love in the end. And he like, when he as he sings the song, each verse kind of builds up on itself. Mm-hmm. The, the tempo of the song never does, but like the intensity of the lyrics kind of build up on itself as he comes to the end. And that's the very last verse where he says, um, they can have you and I'll have your love in the end. And he says, soul of my soul. And he kind of drags out the word soul and gets that high pitched mm-hmm. falsetto that he used to hit. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Which I have a story about mm-hmm. <laughs> that high pitched falsetto. <laughs> the song Kiss is one of my favorite Prince songs. And of course, if you know that song, you know he sings the entire thing, except for like one line in that falsetto. Yep. So back when that song was popular, anytime it came on the radio, uh, my friend at the time we lived on Tinker, we would sing that song in our falsetto, which is nowhere near as good as Prince's falsetto, as loud as we possibly could. And one day after school, we were watching MTV, the song came on, and we started singing it as loud as our hearts would let us, enjoying every minute. And keep in mind, on Tinker, we lived in quadplexes. So we're singing. The doorbell rings. My friend goes to me, answer the door. It's the high school kid next door. We were still in junior high. And all I hear is, could y'all shut the fuck up? (laughs) How dare he? (laughs) He stepped over to his door next door. Mm. that'll do it that will do it he should have been slapped but that's all right (laughs) we didn't (laughs) yeah i know you didn't want that i understand (laughs) we didn't but you know it's noteworthy real quick i do want to touch on one last song and i know people have heard of this one but it's one of my favorites just for what he for what he did technically on it Mm -hmm. if i was your girlfriend um that one was interesting because of the technique mm-hmm. that he used. He did it on several other, several other songs too. Yeah, I thought that it was on there. Um, this was off his 1987 double album, Sign of the Times, which, okay. yeah, out of his plethora of albums, this is a must listen to. Mm-hmm. If you've never gotten on, or never experienced Prince, this is definitely an album I would recommend starting off with. If I was your girlfriend, though, um, he had 
he had recorded the song using his natural singing voice and then he kind of sped it up to mm-hmm. make that high pitched, uh, I guess kind of squeaky. And if you've heard the song, you know what I'm talking about. He, he sped it up and he, um, went back after he recorded it. Mm-hmm. And it's, he's, you know, if you know the song, you know, he's talking about to a woman, basically, if I was your girlfriend, if, if I was your girlfriend, when I get more respect than I do now, just being your man. It's, it's a mm-hmm. very interesting song, and it's to me, it's one of the more unique love songs I think I've ever heard. Because it really is a love song. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what you've heard about Prince, it's a love song. So that's one of my hands-down favorites, though, actually, just for the way he sings it. And interestingly enough, it was featured in that Oscar-worthy Demi Moore movie, Striptease, which I don't recommend to anybody uh, no ever unless you like horror movies <laughs> but i will give it to demi is it demi or demi i don't know demi demi i'll give it to her apparently she practiced long and hard you know going to actual strip clubs and practicing her whole stripper routine and she worked out pretty well so you know she looks pretty decent mm-hmm. but there's a scene in there where she does a strip tease to if i was your girlfriend i was like oh yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's that's only yeah. noteworthy because it's Prince, right? Not not because of her. But. Yeah. And <sighs> before we move on, I just want to say that Prince-related artists or adjacent, like uh, the Time, the Revolution, Morris Day, mm-hmm. they're all oh, amazing artists in their own right. Uh-huh. And Morris. actually, Morris Day still tours. Mm-hmm. He uh, came through Oklahoma City a few years ago, and I thought about going, but ended up not. <laughs> yeah, Morris Day was had some hits back in the day, and Prince was, he had a ear, not just for him, but music that would be great for other artists to sing, finding True. other artists, which is part of his greatness. Mm-hmm. Most definitely, but... If you, when you, from what I understand and what I read, he was a serious control freak, which you understand considering mm-hmm. the quality and he, of music that he turned out consistently. So for each of those groups that he, let's say, put together, he always, always had a firm hand in every single one of those groups. The time, right. his two girl groups, Fanny Six and Apollonia Six. And if you know them, you know their songs. Um, and then, of course, he had his backing bands, Revolution, he had for a really long time. And then later mm-hmm. on, it was New Power Generation. He mm-hmm. had a firm hand on even the groups that didn't have him directly. He wrote the songs. He did a lot of backing singing for them. So he was, yep. his influence is everywhere on those groups. Like, we're talking about, like, Sheila E., the yep. drummer. And she's, like, ridiculous on them drums all by herself. But even in the songs that she put out when she still worked with him, his handprint is all over her stuff. So, yep. and there's, and there's not necessarily anything wrong with that because you know, off the bat, Hey, you know, like you said, he knew how to pick quality things and he knew who to work with to give it mm-hmm. whatever he was looking for. So that's, yeah, that's definitely. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I appreciate you talking about Marvin Gaye and Prince. And now I'm going to throw this at you. Mm-hmm. Honorable mention. Song, mm-hmm. artist, album, one hit wonder, throw it out there. Wait a minute. <laughs> Let me think. Who have I been listening to lately? Oh, Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. I want to date. I want to dance with somebody. Oh, yes. Doesn't that surprise you? Because I'm not that kind of girl, but I am. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you why. And I was kind of in the same boat. Like we were talking about Lionel earlier mm-hmm. and how people felt about him and how they felt about Whitney feeling like they weren't quote unquote black enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of found that same boat when she first came on the scene, but clearly my mind and good taste knew better because as time went on and I would hear, you know, more of her old stuff getting played, you know, on classic radio, especially after she passed away mm-hmm. and they would, you know, play a lot of her stuff and tribute. I'm like, I know all the words to these songs. So clearly I liked her a lot more than I was willing to own up to. Right. 
And one of those songs was I Want to Dance with Somebody. I want to say, let me see. I think it was off her second album. I think so. Yeah. That is really pop wise for pop music. That, you know, is in that like perfect sort of pop song kind of thing. It is. It is. And I said it showcased, I think it showcased her. I mean, I'm just going to say her talent was God given. That was, that was otherworldly the way she sang. She definitely had some pipes. Mm-hmm. And there was some um, couple of documentaries I had watched of her in the last few years, and one of them showed an early performance that she did at a nightclub. She wasn't even really old enough to be there, but it, her mother was supposed to make a an appearance and couldn't make it, so she came mm-hmm. in her she came in her place and she did this incredible. I can't think of the song, but her range even then was amazing. Yeah, and. I- I imagine she came out with amazing range, <laughs> you know, birth. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of with her, a lot of it was just trying to, I said she was in the documentaries I was watching some of them. One of them particularly had like backstage footage of her of where she really did have, it, it really bothered her a great deal that people were saying that she wasn't black enough. It, it, a great deal. And I remember uh, there was a scene of her backstage, one of the tours, and she's back there with her mother and um, I guess, I don't know what you want to call her, her special friend, Robin. Mm-hmm. They were all backstage talking and Whitney goes on a tirade about how much she can't stand Janet Jackson. Like she can't, uh, she can't understand why Janet is so much more popular than she is and can't sing half as well as she does. Mm-hmm. And she was like, she was really cussing. Like she, she, she said some names. She called some people out their names. And then, like I said, watching it a couple years ago and seeing how she was all those years ago, you know, with the perspective that I have now, it was sad to watch because she was fighting so hard, which um, was amazing that she had to fight at all with the way right. she sounded. But she was fighting so hard to be as popular as some of the other. Uh, black uh, female R&B and pop singers at the time, she fought hard and it really bothered her that people thought she wasn't black enough. It was crazy. And I think that's part of the reason why she married Bobby Brown, honestly, to this day. Could be. <laughs> I wonder if the whole not black enough thing stems from the idea that uh, maybe you're a Uncle Tom type situation. Like a sellout? Yeah. Mm. I think part of that is dealing with record companies that are looking, they're looking for the dollar bill or looking for what sells. Well, I just mean in general, because mm-hmm. I've known people and they're like, well, that person's not black enough. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And yes. So anyway, that's serious topic. I'm going to get back to music. <laughs> <laughs> There's some to that, but that song I said in particular and, and I, I said, I shocked myself when, you know, I said right after she passed and they were playing all her songs on the radio and tribute and all her videos and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I shocked myself with how many songs I knew almost word for word. And this was one of the ones that I had always liked. And I remember maybe four years ago, three years ago, when I was still going into the office, I would usually stop at the same 7-Eleven on the way in the office and get coffee. So mm-hmm. one morning I'm stopping, I'm at the little coffee bar mixing my coffee, and there's like two or three other ladies near me making their coffee. And then this song comes on over the loudspeaker. All of us are either humming <laughs> or singing or singing outright or just like dancing while we're standing there fixing all of us. And I'm like, that, that moment was like amazing to me. My memory to this day, because it just, once again, it just shows you how Mm-hmm. Good, good music transcends. Right. And this one, this particular song of hers, it, it always just had that really, it had a sweet, not, I want, I want to say bubblegum because she wasn't young, young when she, I think she was 19, mm-hmm. 19 or 20 when she did that one. Um, but it was, it was sweet and it was, it, it, it really made you feel like a young girl again. If it made any sense. Right. Yeah. No, I get it. And I like I said, it. to this day, I still, when I hear it, I still turn up the radio a little bit and try to sing it. Nobody can sing with me. 
but we yeah. all tried. <laughs> that leads me to a real quick Whitney Houston point. Mm-hmm. Her version of the Star Spangled Banner at the mm-hmm. Super Bowl mm-hmm. was amazing. Mm-hmm. However, there's an incredibly negative side effect to that. And that was every other person who has sang it since then tries to sing it like Whitney. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. Mm-mm. Sing it how you sing it. Mm-hmm. Let Whitney sing it the way she sang it. Stop trying to be Whitney. You aren't mm-hmm. Whitney. Be uh-uh. you. Your you is why they brought you on to do the Star Spangled Banner at the Super Bowl. Not to have you do your version of how Whitney Houston sang it. No. Okay. No. I, I just had um, to nope. get that off my chest. No, you're absolutely, I agree 100% because hers was in, and hers was done this, the Super Bowl that year. I think we had just started what? Operation Desert, Desert Storm. Shield. Was it Storm it might, or Shield? I think it was Shield still. It was, yeah, the, I don't, well, no, I guess it had started. So it was Shield. Yeah. So that was but, a big deal at that time. Like yeah. everybody felt American like nobody's business. And she captured that. She yeah. really did. She did. I'll tell you what though. My second favorite national anthem rendition, Marvin Gaye, the 1983 NBA All-Star Game. See? You if you've never right seen, back. uh-huh. If you've never seen and or heard this, do yourself a favor and YouTube that. He is amazing. He has his sunglasses on the whole time, but he is amazing. Mm-hmm. And okay. he, he slows the rhythm. They slow the rhythm down of the song. So mm-hmm. it's more like a smooth, R&B feel mm-hmm. to it, but you have to listen to it okay. to, to understand what it is. But it is amazing. I shall. And moving on, I'm going to do my honorable mention, and it is the song Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls. Oh. I love that song. Okay. It's my honorable mention because we got Tickets to see them in September. Yeah, I think I saw that. <laughs> yeah, Heather was a wee bit excited. <laughs> she she likes Blue October better, but I want to see Iris live, so I'll mm. I'll go to the concert just for that. And I know it will be the last song sung, but I'm cool with that. It's in the movie City of Angels, where Nicholas Cage. Nick the Cage Cage is the angel that comes down to earth for Meg Ryan. It's in, uh, it's in that. It may be a reason why I don't remember that movie too well because Meg Ryan. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I'm um, just, uh, I like Nick Cage, but uh, yeah, okay. no, <laughs> I get it. <laughs> the version. Okay. Watch the actual video by Iris mm-hmm. and then put in Goo Goo Dolls, Iris, Buffalo in the rain. They were doing a concert in Buffalo. They're from Buffalo. It starts raining and they kept on performing. And mm-hmm. this version of Iris Live is amazing. And oh, the lyrics to this song are just incredible. I'm going to read a few of them real quick. It just starts with, and I give up forever to touch you because I know that you feel me somehow. You're the closest to heaven that I'll ever be. And I don't want to go home right now. Mm. And all I can taste is this moment. And all I can breathe is your life. And sooner or later, it's over. I just don't want to miss you tonight. I mean, Mm. that's some powerful lyrics for a love Mm -hmm. song, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the chorus is sort of dark. Because here's the chorus. And I don't want the world to see me because I don't think that they'd understand. When everything's made to be broken, I just want you to know who I am. <gasps> oh, I think I've heard this song before. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And you can't fight the tears that ain't coming or the moment of truth in your lies. When everything feels like the movies, yeah, you bleed just to know you're alive. Okay, I think I have heard this. Okay, and, yeah. yeah. And then it's just sort of repeats like, the chorus. I'm sorry, it's like a mid-tempo, isn't it? Yeah, okay. kind of, yeah. 
And it ends with, I just want you to know who I am. Okay. Yeah. Mm. It's a glorious song. And of course, when they're singing it, it's better than, you know, me reading it. <laughs> and loads better than me singing it. I'll sing it, but it doesn't have the same effect. <laughs> Do you want to, though? Do you really want to? <laughs> so, oh, no. I I will sing it in the privacy of my own house and car. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now that I'm, I'm now, now this information is processing, and I'm fairly sure I've heard the song before, but I need to go back and listen to it in its entirety. Yeah. Gotcha. Like I say, listen to the studio version of the video, and then put that live version uh, in on, from the rain. And both are excellent, and you'll enjoy it. So. Definitely. Okay. All right. Nice. Well, as happens with us, we went longer than planned. <laughs> but music episodes usually go long. I think it happens when you're talking about something you're passionate about. So, yeah. anyway, thanks for coming on. Thanks I for having like me. We're going to be talking again soon. You think so? I think so. Huh. Yeah. Guess we'll find out, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're uh, curious, the first podcast we ever did together is on this channel. You can go back. I believe it's called The Pinetta Files. And give it a listen. And go listen to us over on Pinetta and Jack Save the World. We have a good time talking about serious crap that a lot of people don't talk about. But we do. Because we're badasses. Indeed. That's right. <laughs> so, once again, appreciate it, Kenyatta. I'm going to end the show, as I always do, even though I know I fell at this. Try to live your life in a way that would make Mr. Rogers proud. Bye. Bye. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. Your feedback is valuable, and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com slash kenyatta-jack-save-the-world, or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at ServiceDogProject at ServiceDogProject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at BWHI.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of Hyper Focus Podcasts.